But I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. Some of you, some of you are purists when it comes to Christmas, right? So there's no Christmas music, none of that. There's no Christmas trees until after Thanksgiving, right? How many of you, raise your hand, you're the purist. You, some of y'all aren't even sure. Like you wait and, and like your hands went to like right at the very end. So you guys would be so ashamed of Amy and I. You'd be so ashamed of us. Those of you who are purists, like you're... Back in the day, not so much now, but back in the day before we had kids, which was a long time ago, when we first got married, we totally, we totally went off script. We did it our own way. It'd be like Halloween outside, and we're putting up our Christmas tree. Like, we didn't even care. And then, I'm almost ashamed to say this, for those of you that's purists, like, this going to hurt your insides. Like, December 1st or 2nd, we're opening our presents, you know, because we could. We could do it. It's just the two of us. So then the kids came along, and you know, we, we had to rethink everything. All right, when the kids came along, all of a sudden it's like, well, we want our kids to experience the same thing that we did as kids growing up, right? Through the eyes of a little girl, through the eyes of a little boy, what was Christmas like? We want our boys to kind of experience some of that. And so you don't get to put the tree up until after Thanksgiving, right? That's what we started to We don't want to hear the Christmas music. Because we want you to understand the richness and the beauty. I mean, somewhere along the way, maybe it's just me. Maybe you've never experienced this. But it seems like looking around society today, so many people have just lost the beauty of Christmas. And it's almost like Christmas is like an event that we have to deal with. And as a pastor, I'm going to tell you, I talk to so many people who they would say, but with their own words, like their spiritual life is very stale during this season. Wherever where you look, it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about Christmas. Or is it? Have we almost taken Christmas and we've said, we're going to forget that this is really about an incredible God who left heaven and came to earth to live a perfect and sinless life, who came to rescue us. We forgot that this is all about a rescue mission. And so our hope in this series is to look at Christmas through fresh eyes. That's the title of the series, Christmas Through Fresh Eyes. And so to do that, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah. I'm going to say this so many times this morning, but this is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. You're going to hear that a lot today. 700 years before the manger, before the, the shepherds, before the angels sang and pierced the darkness, before all of that took place, 700 years beforehand, the prophet Isaiah wrote some words down. He wrote this prophecy down, and he did it in a way that would remind us that Jesus didn't just come as a good teacher. And he didn't come as a man who lived a good life to show, like, just model my life. If you do this, then you'll find happiness. It was so much more than that. Jesus came as a Messiah. Jesus came as the rescuer. Let's take our Bibles and open up to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Again, this is centuries, generations and generations before Jesus. Isaiah writes of the success, the sufferings, the significance of the Lord Jesus, writes why we needed a Messiah in the first place. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. This is a story that starts at Christmas and really culminates with Easter, doesn't it? In fact, today's probably going to be different than most Christmas sermons you've heard because really you can't have Christmas without Easter and you can't have Easter without Christmas. They really go hand in hand, which brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that you need to trust in the healing death of Jesus. Trust in the healing death of Jesus. Verse 4 is where I'm going to start as we look at how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Verse 4. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so in these verses, we read that our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, iniquities, chastisement, our stripes, all of that that should be on us is placed on the Messiah, right? Every bit of that is placed on the Messiah. And what do we receive in return? We give him sorrows, transgressions, chastisement, stripes. We receive peace and healing. Do you see that? Now, some of you, some of you are going to love this morning because we're going to go verse by verse. Some of you who like, like, I like chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you're going to love this morning. So keep your Bibles open because we're slowly going to work our way through this. We're going to start in verse four. Isaiah says that he, Jesus, has borne or taken on our griefs and carried our sorrows. To take on literally means to carry, right? To take on means I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to place it on my shoulder. You've been trying to carry it, but you can't carry it. The weight is too heavy for you to carry. So this is saying the Messiah will come along and he will pick up, place on his shoulder, we know by way of the cross, and carry our griefs and our sorrows. Verse 5, we see the emphatic use of the pronoun he again. He, meaning Jesus, was wounded and crushed, taking our chastisement and bringing us peace and healing. Crushed. The prophet here says that the Messiah would be wounded, that he would be tortured, that he would be killed, he'd be crushed. And then this is important, this preposition for, this preposition for means from, right? From if this, then that, right? This is what's going on here. It's a cause and effect statement. Do you see that? That, that, that from right there, it's cause and effect. The cause is our transgressions, our iniquities. The effect is Jesus being wounded and crushed. Again, just, just consider this. 700 years before the manger. 700 years before Jesus is born. 700 years before the shepherds, before the angels. 700 years before all of that happened. We read about the blows, the actual blows that would be inflicted upon, that would be experienced by Jesus. Verse 6, the emphasis switches from what Jesus did to what we did. It switches to our rebellion of how we've gone astray and turned to our own way. Do you see the words all and we? I'd underline that or circle it in my Bible to draw attention to all and we. This is that we all are responsible for the rebellion against God. We can't claim an oops here. Or an ope in Michigander, right? Ope, sorry, Lord. I didn't mean to sin. Like, I, I just snuck up on me. Like, that sin, it just, it just, I just slipped up. I didn't mean, ope, I didn't mean for it to happen, right? We can't claim ope. We can't. This says that the rebellion is every single one of us. This is, I know where there is holy, because you probably don't do that. Like, you probably don't think to yourself, self, I want to be rebellious today. That's not what we do. But we do say, I see where holy is, and I'm going to choose not to do that. That tends to be how we do it, isn't it? There's holy. There's what the Lord has called me to. I'm intentionally not going to do that. We are all guilty of this. And God still 
with us in that place where we all have had transgressions. Every single one of us. God laid on Jesus the iniquity, the wrongdoing, the uncleanliness of all of us onto Jesus. Every one of us is straight. That, I don't know about you, but that makes me just pause for just a moment and just kind of go, wow. Do you know what I mean? Like it puts into perspective who Jesus is, who the Messiah is, and who we are and what we've done. It puts into perspective. Now, probably the holiest of all holy days for the Jews would be Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement. If you're not familiar with it, the Day of Atonement is such a beautiful day for the Jewish people. In the first century, what they would do is they would take a bull. The high priest would take a bull and would kill the bull and then take the blood from that bull. And the blood from that bull would atone, the Day of Atonement, would atone for, would pay the price for, would cover the sins of all of the people, and more specifically, it was the unintentional sins, the opes, right? If it was an ope sin, the blood of the bull would cover all of that sin. For the, do you see why this would be such an important day for the Jewish people? The day of atonement, like huge, just to think, like, man, all of my wrongdoings for the whole year long, when that bull is sacrificed, when that blood is shed, all of my unintentional sin is all paid for, just like that. It is a beautiful day. You know, it's a day of celebration. But then over here, you also had two goats. These two goats are so important because these two goats had cast lots to figure out which one's going to do what. With one goat, it would be taken into the holy place and then the most holy place. And that goat would be killed. And the blood of that goat would pay for the sins to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. The blood from that goat would pay for the sins of the people, the intentional sins for the whole year. So you're covered whether it was intentional or unintentional. And with the second goat, here's what they would do. They would tie a crimson, scarlet, red ribbon around the horn of the goat, and they would send the goat into the wilderness. This is the scapegoat. The scapegoat would be sent through the gate and into the wilderness, never to be seen again. You're going to carry, goat, the sins of all the people. You're symbolically going to carry the sins of all the people away so we never see it again. With that in mind, did you hear what Isaiah just wrote? He wrote, there's going to come a Messiah, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the whole world. The Messiah is going to lift up and carry our burden. He's going to carry something that he doesn't deserve. Those goats didn't do it, right? That bull did. They didn't deserve it, but they paid the price for the people. This Messiah, he's going to pick up all the griefs, all the sorrows. He's going to carry it. And then his blood will be shed. But here's the difference. The blood that's shed from this Messiah will pay the price once and for all. That incredible? Not this yearly day of atonement. This Messiah will pay the price once and for all, for all the people. And the exchange that happens between us and Jesus, he takes on the chastisement. He takes on the punishment. We receive this place of healing. We receive this place of peace. And so I guess the question today is, have you ever done that? Have you ever had that exchange take place where you place your faith in Jesus and you receive peace? You look at Christmas and you're, you're going in your heart, all is well with my soul. I am in a place of peace today. Have you ever done that? You see, for most of you in here, the answer is yes. Yes, I've given my life to Christ. I've experienced the peace that only Jesus can bring. And some of you, you're going not yet. And you feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. You feel like everything is pressing down because you're carrying a weight that doesn't belong to you. 
you're carrying a weight that you can't possibly carry. There's supposed to be this exchange that takes place. It's a free gift of salvation from Jesus. And today you can experience that. I'll give you the chance in just a little bit for that to happen. Uh, First, let's go ahead and and move on. We're going to look at how Jesus was our blameless substitute. This is beautiful. I want you to see this, verse 7. It says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, like a sheep that's before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And so in verse 7, the prophet compares Jesus with this lamb that's being led to slaughter, right? Or a lamb that's being taken to be sheared. And what it says is that Jesus wasn't overpowered. He wasn't overwhelmed because of circumstances that were outside of his control. Right? That wasn't what happened. He went willingly and then he chose not to fight back. He stood in humble service for the sick and the wicked without question, without objection. Then the words are used oppressed and afflicted. Do you see that? That carries this gravity. It carries this weight with the idea of a harsh treatment at the hand of others. You see, Jesus Jesus was the blameless substitute and blameless sacrifice. Verse 8, what we see is we see it's not the legal system that condemns Jesus. The text says it was the transgressions of my people. And so what's brought on to Jesus isn't brought on by some type of corrupt legal system. I, I think sometimes when we read the New Testament, we fall into that trap of thinking, well, it's just the corruption legally that's going on between Herod. You know, we start to, who's to blame for this? Who, well, here's what Scripture says. Scripture says the guilty party is the transgressions of my people. That's, that's us. Right? It's the sin of people. And then uh, you see that he was cut off out of the land of the living. This is, a, this is a violent verb, cut off. This is extremely violent. This word cut off, it means to saw off. It means to chop off or to hack off. Right? This is a violent word here, a violent verb. It means that the servant was killed. Means that the servant was executed. The death of Jesus was a miscarriage of human justice, but don't miss this. This is being written 700 years before Jesus. Jesus didn't leave heaven and come to earth kicking and screaming. He didn't, he didn't leave against his will. He knew exactly what he was coming into. He came as this humble servant, he came as a blameless substitute. Then in verse 9, Isaiah starts with an incredible prophecy about how Jesus would be buried when he says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And then Isaiah doesn't give any more explanation. But when we fast forward 700 years, we know what Matthew 27 says, right? Matthew 27 says that Jesus was taken off the cross and the body of Jesus was then placed into the tomb of this wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. The tomb had never been used. It was a family tomb. It had never been used before. And all we see from Isaiah is that he would be connected in death with this rich man. And we know that the rich man that's talked about right there appears in Matthew 27 as Joseph of Arimathea. And then this move in Scripture from submission to innocence, Isaiah says he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth, he says. Meaning, in both his his actions and his words, 
He died in complete innocence. My friends, this, this is the story of Christmas. This is the story of Jesus coming and living a perfect, blameless life of dying and then of living again, right? This is the story of Christmas. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. For our sake he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The final thing we're going to see is that Jesus was crushed, but he was victorious. Look down at verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So the story of Jesus, if all we had was the story of Jesus and it ended with the tomb, it ended with the grave, it, it'd, be a, it'd be a heroic story, wouldn't it? Like, it would be a story that we would look at and say, that's a, that's a noble story. Like, this is a story of a man who selflessly lived, who selflessly taught, but it wouldn't be the story of salvation, it wouldn't be the story of rescue. It wouldn't be the story of redemption of us being purchased on the cross. Like, it wouldn't be that story. This story is totally different. Now, what's interesting to me is when you read through everything that Isaiah is saying, that word resurrection, that doesn't appear. Did you notice that? That word resurrection does not appear, and yet the victory in the Messiah, through the Messiah, comes leaping. I'll show you in just a second. Verse 10 first. It says, the will of the Lord was to crush him and put him to grief. Don't miss this. Because every generation, every generation asks the question, why did Jesus have to die? We all ask differently, don't we? We have our own way of asking the question. But that's, in the end, that is the question. Why did Jesus have to die? And the answer is right here. The answer is because God is just. You and I are not people of justice. We try, but we fail. I got two boys, and one day I would punish one for this, and the next day they got a pass. Like, same crime that they committed, whatever it was. Like, you didn't take out the trash, didn't make it, but whatever it was, right? You told me if it, whatever it was. Like, today I'm going to lower the boom. Tomorrow I'm going to give you a pass, and I'm just going to rough talk you a little bit, right? And so, depending on what it was, I, because we're not, we're not completely just. We're not just in a holy way are we? We don't have a holy justice that doesn't change. Our justice is always changing. God is completely just. And there's been a wrongdoing, right? We have missed the mark of holy. We have sinned. We have missed the mark that God has called us to. And so because of his complete justice, God says someone has got to pay. Someone has got to pay. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible tells us. Eternal separation from a holy and an awesome God. But here's the other side. The other side is love. God is completely, we're not completely love. God is completely love in a holy way. And he says, because I love you, I will pay. So when you go back to Isaiah, here's what it says. It says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him and put him to grief. This was to 
make an offering of guilt, an offering of guilt for us, to pay the price for us. He was crushed so that we could be his offspring. Look what it says. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Did you see that? Because there's the resurrection right there, but maybe you missed it. He shall see, he shall see his offspring. There they are. He shall, how can a dead man see his offspring? Church, a dead man can't see offspring. He can't do that. Then it says, he shall prolong his days, meaning make the days longer. How can you, if you're dead, make your days longer? You can't make your days longer, right? How can it says the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand? If Jesus is not resurrected, then how can the will of the Lord prosper in his hand? You see, what this is pointing to is he was crushed, but he was victorious. He was crushed, but that was not the end of the story. How does Jesus feel about the plan? Well, verse 11 tells us, out of anguish, out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Church, do you remember the garden? What's that about Jesus in the garden? He prayed until he sweat drops of blood in the garden. And he prayed, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But that's not where he stopped, is it? The cross was full of anguish, but that was not the final emotion felt by Jesus. There was the victory as a risen Savior walked out of that grave, right? Verse 12 gives us this picture of a victory parade. I love this. This victory parade says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 10, where he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do not miss verse number nine. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. This is a story of Christmas. Seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus, we are told that the Messiah would come, that he would live, that he would be the blameless, the blameless substitute, the blameless sacrifice, that he would be tortured for us, that he'd be killed for us, but then he would live again. And then the Bible tells us as the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When you look at the manger, I just want you to know what my prayer was for you this morning. As George and I prayed, one of our elders, as we prayed, I prayed for you. I prayed that for those who have been followers for a long, long time, that you will look at the manger. And because of this series, you will forever look at the manger differently. That the depth and the richness of going all the way back to 700-year-old prophecies that you would look at and just say, oh my goodness, look how beautiful the majestic name of Jesus is. Look at the power of the word of God. And then my prayer for those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus is today you see the gospel with fresh eyes. Today everything changes for you as you see Christmas as it really should be seen as an incredible story of salvation. We you bow your heads with me this morning? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I um, just want to tell you the truth. The truth is that the Word of God tells us that God loves us. 
that incredible? God loves us. Like right where you are. It doesn't matter how good you've been in life. It doesn't matter how bad you've been in life. He loves us. He perfectly loves us. But he's completely just. He's a just God. He's a God full of justice. And you and I have messed up. We've missed the mark. We've sinned. We have fallen short of holy. Because he's a God of justice, he demands that there's going to be punishment. There's got to be payment for that sin. The penalty, the payment is death. Incredible story of the gospel is that God in that place of love says, I will pay. That's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He did what you and I can't do. He was the perfect substitute, not a bull or a couple of goats that every year we have to go and do this again to atone for our sins because the perfection of the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're rescued, that you're saved. If you've never done that, I just want to give you a chance to pray right now and just say, God, I believe. I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus to live the perfect life, to be the sacrifice in my place. Jesus, I believe that you carried my grief, that you carried my sorrow, that you carried the stripes that were owed to me. That I believe it didn't stop at the cross, that when they placed you on the tomb on the third day, you conquered death, that you rose again. Jesus, I am placing my faith and my hope and my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. Merry Christmas, Lord.